0: So, Outwitting the Devil. This is week 10 of our series. And for anybody who is joining us for the first time, no worries. If you've never read Outwitting the Devil before, quick recap written in 1938 by Napoleon Hill, uh, who also authored Think and Grow Rich. It was withheld from publication for being, you know, too controversial. Uh, and the book is essentially a conversation between Mr. Earthbound, Napoleon, and the devil himself and people have interpreted this conversation many ways but essentially the devil breaks down all of the ways in which he induces people to what he calls drifting now drifting is any time that you that uh you're not fulfilling your uh ability to self-actualize when you are not reaching your goals when you're not satisfied with life essentially all, all of those things and the devil just talks about all of his tactics for doing this and for whatever reason he's truth-bound in this conversation. Now at some point in the conversation they break down a list of all of the ways that you can thwart the devil's tactics in some sense and this list ends up just being an amazing list of uh, rules so to speak for seeking and actualizing your potential. Now, each week we've been going through one of these rules. Today, we've got another one or principles. Today, we've got another one. And the way today's discussion will go is Alex, my co-host, and I will talk about this principle for this week. We'll talk about a couple of our ideas, ask some questions. We can open up for a little bit of a group discussion. And in about 30 to 45 minutes, we will have a, a prompt or a set of prompts for going into the breakout rooms. We'll go out into the breakout room, small group discussions, talk about that, come back to the main room and talk about takeaways. So buckle up, you're in for hopefully a fruitful and awesome discussion on the next principle from Outwitting the Devil. So this week's principle, here's the quote, it's long. I'll I'll read it twice so that you can get it. Recognize that life is a cruel taskmaster and that either you master it or it masters you. There is no halfway or compromising point. Never accept from life anything you do not want. If that which you do not want is temporarily forced upon you, you can refuse in your own mind to accept it, and it will make way for the thing you do want. Okay, one more time. Recognize that life is a cruel taskmaster, and that either you master it or it masters you. There is no halfway or compromising point. Never accept from life anything you do not want. If that which you do not want is temporarily forced upon you, you can refuse in your own mind to accept it and it will make way for the thing you do want. So of course, the first question is, what does this mean? From there, I'll pass it off to my co-host, Alex. Alex, what? Uh, how do you interpret this?
1: Thanks, Chase. Um... So I want to break down two two parts of it. I think first the just the word taskmaster. So to me, what this uh, is really referring to is about kind of the day to day things, the things that we're doing. Um, some of the others I think are a little bit more conceptual, but to me this is a cruel taskmaster uh, master kind of insinuating their life will always provide you with an unmanageable unmanageable amount of stuff that you have to do and what that ends up being is up to you you're not going to get away with not doing anything but you can have a significant amount of choice in what those things are Um, so to me it's really can you fill you need to fill your life with things that you do want and avoid doing the things you don't want to do. And, and the other part is not necessarily avoiding doing the things you don't want to, because I think that that's not the point, but refusing it in your own mind. And what I think is valuable about this is that that part of it, because I think, for example, when I was younger, I would just refuse to do the things in, 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 you know in the actual physical universe and not do them. But what he's saying here is that you can refuse it on your own mind and not let not accept it even if it's something you still just have to do you you can reject that this is a norm of your life you know that this is an acceptable task and you can consciously understand that and realize it while still and use that knowledge to start to fill your life with things you do want
0: Excellent. Um, For me, one of the things that it brought up was specifically this idea recognize that life is a cruel taskmaster and that either you master it or it masters you. That first sentence. Uh, In some way, this is like an alternate framing of the stoic point, right, where life may seem cruel sometimes and, and like life hands you what it hands you. Your only option is to master your mode of being within life you know, i.e. act with virtue in the things that you can control and be equanimous about the things you can't control. Now, it's interesting to me that, like, the thing that stuck out was that it said never accept from life anything you do not want, and if that which you do not want is temporarily forced upon you, you can refuse in your own mind to accept it, and it will make way for the things you do want. At first, that struck me as advocating for, like, a denial-type mindset of, like, this is, this is what I don't want in life. Well, actually, it's not happening. I don't accept it. That's, that's not what's, what's going on. But I think it's actually more about don't resign yourself to the things that life hands you. Like, make something out of it. Uh, you know, exert your will upon life. And, you know, th- this, this in some sense comes back to what I was talking about last week, you know, I've been continuing to read Scott Barry Kaufman's work, uh, transcend. And again, in in that he talks about, so he's building on Abraham Maslow and uh, a bunch of his work. And he talks about the elements of self-esteem being uh, there's like a a personal relationship side of it where you have good, uh, strong, meaningful personal connections. And the other half of self-esteem is life mastery. Essentially the, the, Uh, confidence in your ability to exert your will on external things, like when you want to do something, you can go into the world and do it versus, you know, feeling helpless, like that, that would be the opposite of that aspect of self-esteem from, from that perspective, as far as I understand it. Um, So naturally, the question that it brought up for me was what are some of the keys to actually doing this how do you rather than you know getting through life accepting compromise accepting the things that are handed your way how do you get from life uh how do you sort of exert rather than take in how do you um how do you make way for the things that you do want by you know the way he phrased it refusing to accept but Maybe the way I would phrase it would be refusing to be resigned to something, because so I think acceptance is a little bit different. But so that, that's sort of my natural question. If you want to take that question, you can. If anybody in the audience wants to take that question of, you know, w- what are the tools that you need? How do you actually get from life rather than getting through it? Um, you want to chime in, feel free to raise your hand in the chat. Just type an exclamation point and you can jump into.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a good question. It, it reminds me of back to the other principle, which is basically take the seeds of equivalent advantage from any you know negative experience. So for example, if I had to do something that was just not in my vision for my life, I think it would be a waste to not learn from it. So so even these things that you, you are forced to, to do, the things that the cruel taskmaster of life throws at you. They can't just be, um, you know, like you said, resigned to doing it and not learning from it and not figuring out and what you're learning about the world and what you need to change about how you're moving through life. So to me, it's, it's the, the kind of response to your question would be to, to make sure that every opportunity you're learning and thinking about your experiences and, and not wasting any of these um, yeah, and, and in so doing, I think it's not that denial mindset because you're acknowledging it. You're acknowledging this isn't something I want. It is happening. Here's how I can alter my uh, how I'm living my life to avoid similar experiences like this in the future and to cultivate ones that I, I do want, which I now have more insight because I know this is not one that I want.
0: Yeah, awesome. All right, uh, we've got our first hands raised from the audience. Quick reminder of the rules. I should have been doing this every time. Um, rule number one, if you want to speak, just throw a, an exclamation point in the chat and we'll call on you in turn. Uh, rule number two, please keep things brief. Three, stay on topic. And number four, please be courteous. Feel free to disagree with anyone about anything, but you know, be courteous about it. All right, Joe, you're up.
2: Yeah, one stoic principle that actually had come to mind with the idea of like never accept from life anything that you do not want uh, is I think of something like the obstacle is the way. So if something gets in your way, that you kind of are right, that this is not necessarily what you're, you you planned, but the alternative you have alternatives in order to way to achieve uh, success and happiness as well. So that was initially, that is another thing that had stoic principle that had come to mind. But I I also, I mean, I think you captured it as well uh, with the idea of life is a cool taskmaster. The idea, how the dichotomy of control fits within that framework is really important as well. I just want to mention that. Thanks, guys.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Joe. Denise.
3: Hi, everybody. Not much to say, it's really um, interesting. I don't know if anybody's ever read the book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. He was a, uh, a, uh, in a concentration camp and medical doctor. He says they can take anything that, away from me, but they can't take my mind away from me. And that's what this reminds me of. It's all in how you think of it, it's all perspective. So that's it, thanks.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that ties back to the Stoics as well. Um, I don't have it with me to reference. Normally I do, but one of my very favorite Stoic passages is exactly that same point. Uh, Seneca, I believe it's in On Providence, has a whole passage that basically says, like, whatever bad stuff happens to you, no one and no thing can take away your faculty for virtue, your ability to, you know, he talks about contemplating the cosmos and, uh, you know, acting. With virtue, and yeah, nothing can mm. nothing external can take that away. All right, gang. Gang, you're up. Oh, sorry. No problem.
4: Yeah, I think um, it's kind of like remind me of the book uh, *Alchemist*. The boy was at the, one of the shops. He's helping the owner on the way, and he did pretty well. To help the owner actually get a lot of sales and then he still remind remember where he wants to be and left the shop for his dream so I think that's kind of important you know even though you they may be toured on our journey so it's important to remember where you want to be so then continue the effort so if you're not in the, the place you want to be eventually you can prepare yourself for your journey continue on to go to your own goal eventually so that's what they remind me of
0: all right thank you next is Mike M
5: hey yeah so as uh, Joseph and Denise and gang were talking and as I was rereading the quote um, y'all made me think of Nelson Mandela where he's he's imprisoned as a political prisoner he's you know treated very poorly he but yet he, he uh, treats the guards with respect he's, he maintains his principles. He still disagrees with the guards, and he lets them know. Uh, but all of those years, he doesn't let that awful situation uh, change his principles or how he treats people who are treating him poorly. Um, and so, as you three were speaking, uh, that came to mind. That's that's really cool.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Mike.
1: And Chase, I think I think what like Mike mentioned, it, probably the biggest theme in this book to me is just having surety of your purpose and not letting life wear you down through any of its aspects. And like the whole idea of drifting, this, this is not allowing, what Mike said, not allowing your kind of um, morals or code or goals to be altered by all the experiences around you. So I think that's a, a very strong through line through this entire
0: work. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's essentially the point that you were making last week as well, uh, when you were talking about letting your goals and standards slip because of the outcomes of situations and uh yeah to to be honest I think this is like very much the same kind of idea uh all right Denise again
3: yeah me again um you know I've been following this kind of stuff for a long time and one of the things that I've been focusing on lately is uh the law of attraction and um It's really just a matter of believing um, and um, in possibilities. And it's, um, you know, even though what appears to be something that um, is not what we want, we can can change it into something even better than we could even imagine if we just believed that anything is possible. Mm. I don't know if it's relative to this book, but I think it is. So, um, and I've applied it, and um, it's pretty interesting how things just happen. And also in my lifetime, any adversities that I've faced, I've noticed that I've come around. Um, yes, the secret. Um, I, I've come somebody just commented it in, in the chat. Um, but even adversities are really opportunities. There's a Chinese, I think they call the Chinese symbol for crisis is opportunity. So if we took our adversities or things that, you know, life brings us that we don't like, we can turn them into opportunity. Thank yeah. you.
0: Yeah, that, that's awesome. That, and that's actually one of the principles that um, from a couple of weeks ago, extract from defeat the seed of equivalent advantage. That's my shortened version of it. Um, Yeah, and uh, you know, I think the difference between something like outwitting the devil and uh, you know maybe law of attraction type of things is, and I'm I'm not that well versed, so I'm not speaking with much authority here, but uh, from my understanding, the difference is, uh, well, what's in common is the idea of changing your mindset, right? Where it actually matters to the outcomes of your life what your mindset is in any given situation, and what's gonna get you to the end goal that you want is having a mindset that you actually can get to that end goal and having that as your definiteness of purpose. Um, And then what Napoleon Hill gives here is a bunch of essentially recipes for action within the context of having that mindset. So, uh, yeah, thank you.
1: It's just a comment on that. Um, There's this book I, I read and I'm rereading called Creative Calling and a lot of what it talks about is kind of the innate ability of our species to problem solve and to be creative. And a lot of what he talks about is unlocking our ability to be creative, you know, combining two different things and creating a different outcome. And I think a lot of what everybody's talking about is could be defined as creativity, right? It's, it's a seeing an experience, and imagining it could be a different way or it could be combined with something else you know or it could end up in a different place than it looks like it's going. So I I think that I recommend that book and I think that it's got kind of a a different lens which is more um, kind of action oriented and thought oriented and practice oriented where you practice solving these types of solutions in a creative way and the the meetup we did on the five minute timer, I think, is a a good practice for that. Nice. Thanks.
0: Next is Rebecca, and that will be followed by Marco. Rebecca.
6: Yeah, um, you know, I've just been thinking a lot as we've been talking here about purpose, Um, and I'm pretty attached to the sentiment that we all have, you know, a specific pre-designated creative type purpose that um, on some level, is meant to better the world, um, but now I'm kind of challenging my thinking on that, and I'm wondering, you know, why is it that we attach or or have this need to have this specific purpose? And um, you know, that that seems to me some type of a destination orientation. Like once I arrive at my purpose, well, then I'll be happy. And we're kind of going back and forth here talking about the journey along the way. Um, So I guess, you know, just conceptually, I'm challenging my own thinking around this need to have a defined purpose. And is it really, is that really the case? Or is it really just about enjoying the ride?
0: Yeah. One of the things that I've been uh, looking into and thinking about and trying to understand lately is sort of the difference between uh, what are termed peak experiences versus plateau experiences. So uh, a peak experience, you know, if, if your purpose, so to speak in life is about your peak experiences, which are, are you know, for everybody, even if they happen, uh, when they happen, by definition, they're transitory, right? They don't last very long and they're theoretically far between, otherwise they would be more of a plateau. Um, So for example, if if your dream and your purpose in life is to be on Broadway and like the way you conceptualize that is opening night, like that's what I live for is opening night on Broadway, right? That's my purpose in life. Well, even if you're the best Broadway star, how many opening nights do you get in life? Let's just call it 20, right? 20 opening nights and how long does each one last? Well, from call to the time you go home, call it five hours, right? So you're talking about a hundred hours that make up the purpose and calling in your life. A hundred hours is not very long in the grand scheme of things. That's, that's pretty small compared to the, the length of your life. But again, take the Broadway star. If you are focused on meaningful plateau experiences, well then maybe your goal is something more like being mindful of how much you enjoy the process of being a creative performer and from there you've got the audition stage the rehearsal stage the voice lessons the acting lessons the the opening nights the closing nights and every single night in between and like that's that's more of a plateau of purpose that if that's what you're setting yourself up for to be fulfilled by is much more sustainable, much more manageable, and probably much more fulfilling in the end. That's my understanding of things. I'm no expert, but I, you know, that's, that's sort of what I take from that.
6: So, that's very helpful. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Rebecca. All right, Marco. Um, yeah. Like I was, I, I
2: read the chapter and um, I, I'm kind of like prone to like negative thinking and like ruminating and and that's something I'm working on. And I think this is like sort of this is this especially like helpful because like, you know, obviously negative thinking and, you know, like drifting and um, it's something you obviously you don't want it. And it's just like a great, like first step, like out of that sort of rumination is just, you know, focusing on what you want and, sort of like shifting that, shifting the mindset.
0: So yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, it, definiteness of purpose, right? Like Alex said, that's the through line for this whole book, definiteness of purpose. And yeah, you're right, Marco. That's the way out of, you know, habitual r- rumination and negative thinking. Uh, that's That's what gets you there. That doesn't mean it's easy, but yeah, Mike.
5: Yeah, just combining what Mark was talking about with the uh, definite of purposeness with uh, what Rebecca was asking about and then Chase, you replied to with uh, deciding what that purpose is. I do wonder if uh, the natural shifting of purpose is necessarily drifting. Uh, uh, For instance, your Broadway star, aspiring Broadway star might become a parent. And then Mm. all of a sudden, that child is the purpose. And is that bad? Is that drifting? Mm. Um, I Personally, I'd argue no. Um, I'd argue perhaps Having, having your purpose and letting it shift, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, um, but I'm open to be convinced otherwise.
0: You know, I think, yeah, that's a great question. My first thought on that, and it's, this is by no means a, a way of totally answering the question, but my first thought on that would be the difference between um, being deliberate about changing your purpose and being sort of guided by, unknowns like not understanding why your purpose has changed, something like that. But I, you know, I don't know. That's that's a great question.
6: Okay. Um I, I yeah I actually have thought a lot on that um particularly as a female who is very motherly orientated and as well as career orientated. Um and I think you know in my generation um, I know an awful lot of stay-at-home moms yet, and awful lot of women who went into careers and chose not to have be mothers because they felt like they weren't able to give to both sides of those things. Um, and I think that's a really unfortunate place to be in society. Um, I personally feel like it is possible to do both those things, particularly how we're changing um, work workforce currently. Um, But you know, all of that said, I've seen an awful lot of empty nesters that define their lives by parenting. Parenting isn't something that ever ends, for one thing. But you know, once those children leave the house, you know, there's a span of what, 18 years there of your 90 years of life, that you're actually hands on as a caregiver. So I like to kind of frame that up as like dual purposes, because I do believe that, you know, whether children enter someone's life or not, they still have a purpose that is external to parenting, if that makes sense. I mean, I'm still a child to my parents. I'm a sibling. There's a lot of family roles that we play. I'm friends, the best friend, a lot of you know, roles that we play relationship-wise, but I see purpose as a little bit different than that.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. The idea of dual purpose. I mean, I, yeah, I like it. I think the the counter to that that comes to mind, or maybe the balance to that that comes to mind is, I don't remember where I heard this. I think I heard this in the context of there was some... UN resolution or plan or something that came out where they they had a list of priorities and the list was like 60 things long. And it's like, okay, if everything is a priority, nothing is a priority. So on the one hand, dual purpose or multi-purpose makes sense, but everything can't be your purpose. Uh, Then nothing is, I don't know. Maybe that doesn't translate, but there's something worth thinking about there. Um, But yeah, I I mean, I I agree. I think, yeah, I'll leave it at that. So there's one other point that I wanted to make uh, for discussion before we move into breakout rooms. And that's this idea of compromise. Going back to the, specifically the, the quote, it says, there is no halfway or compromising point. And that's something that struck me as interesting I've actually heard, uh, I've heard before this idea of taking compromise as sort of a negative thing. And it comes from, uh, I read the book, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. He's a, a, a FBI, retired FBI negotiator, FBI. Yeah. He's a retired FBI negotiator and runs a, a, runs the Black Black Swan Group and wrote this book and gives lectures. And it, it, he's an awesome guy, like the book is amazing. Uh, but I was listening to one of his lectures and he gave this example of why compromise, specifically splitting difference in something is negative. And I, I want to uh, share his example and then move back to this and try to figure out what does it mean there is no halfway or compromising point. So he was saying, well, think about this in terms of compromise, let's say, you and your husband or wife are trying to uh, decide what you should wear. So like, I, you know, I'm gonna wear a suit and uh, I think that the black shoes go well with the suit. My wife thinks that the brown shoes go well with the suit. Well, let's just split the difference. I'll wear one black and one brown. Well, that's an even worse solution than either of uh, our solutions. And so, in that sense, splitting the difference can be a very dangerous route to go. And we hear all of this idea that compromise is sort of the way of peace in the world, the way to make sure that people are sort of equally appeased, to make sure that uh, nobody gets too radical in their thinking. You know, especially politically, like talk about political compromise as the goal. But in this particular sense, like. It, he's saying there is no compromising point. What's the disconnect there? Why might compromise be a negative thing in this sense or in any sense? Like, are we driving down the wrong path politically when we say we want compromise? Um, or is, is compromise sometimes okay in some domains and in other domains, compromise is unacceptable?
1: What, what that makes me think of is I think we have an inherent nature to resent things that didn't go fully our way. And if we're always compromising, I think we're also aware when we didn't do everything we could have. And I think it creates a, it, it, in the future, it can create a cognitive dissonance in our head. Like I didn't do it it's somebody's it's it's somebody's fault and, and it's it's like could I think it can measure up to the equivalent of not doing it in retroactively if that makes sense like i I think if you continue to compromise about things that you have definite a, a purpose about that will basically necessarily uh, take you off the path right I, I think there's I would only apply that statement to things that you have definiteness of purpose about, not like uh, arbitrary things necessarily, you know?
0: Um, Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. All right. Uh, Joe.
2: I mean, actually, Alex just took exactly what I was going to say, and I'll just say it a little bit differently. Um, I think it's like the idea of principles and values that you have to, when you're thinking about the idea of compromise, right? So if you have moral principles, you would not compromise. And that, that's, that would be a negative. But when you have uh, principles, uh, when you're talking about compromising your professional principles or your goals or things along those lines, it becomes a value negotiation to a certain degree. So I, I think that you have to look at it from Uh, And and if you negotiate those principles too far, it does lead to a level of cognitive dissonance as Alex was just saying. Hmm. So that, you know, there's just essentially you've compromised too much and now you're conflicted and and now you're disappointed with yourself. And and that leads to, uh, because your actions that you're, you're essentially your principles are driving your actions and that, Essentially, this is now your life. So how many of those actions are actually going to be compromised in that process? And I think that that's so uh, to make it a more practical examples, somebody that um, and I don't want to go on too long is the idea of, uh, you know, that really wants to be a writer. Becomes an engineer um, because they think it's going to fit their job and they're doing this because of the value of they put on monetary or job safety or something like that. So then what what do they do? Well, then how much of a negotiation is it? Mm -hmm. Like, do you, you know, how much do you really value the principle and compromise on, on how much you're going to make or your employment in the future? Uh, And that's a personal negotiation. That's where compromise does come in where you can't compromise are is things like uh, you know it depends you know on your moral philosophy but based on you know if you if you have a moral philosophy you can't compromise those things so that's where i see where there is compromise and there isn't um, and then where it could also lead to cognitive dissonance in the sense that you know you've compromised too much Hmm.
0: the way that i see that I mean, I, yeah, I think I see what you're saying. I like your example: someone who wants to become a writer and becomes an engineer because of the job security, the money, et cetera. In some sense, I think that person is wrong about something. I think that if you, I hope I'm going to be able to articulate this well. You know, this comes back to one of the one of the previous principles about. Uh, defining what you want in life and understanding life's price and being willing to pay it to get that. So if you want to be a writer and you become an engineer at the expense of becoming a writer, well, either you didn't really want to be a writer. What you wanted was to have job security and to, to uh, you know, to, to get the values that you got out of becoming an engineer. Wanting to be a writer, like you're wrong, you, you actually don't want that because you didn't pursue it. Or you're misinformed about life's price, and have a mismatched understanding of the mechanics of the way that life works that, you know, you chose to become an engineer, but, you know, you thought that you could also become a writer, and you were just, you're just wrong about that. Like, that's, that's not how things worked. And, uh, or maybe some uh, some combination of the two. And I don't, I don't mean that in a morally judgmental way. I, I mean that in a very like simple, raw way of if you want something from life, like becoming a writer, you have to be willing to pay life's price for it. And in some cases, life's price might be lack of job security. It might be more difficult to become a successful writer than to become uh, a successful engineer. I, I don't know, whatever. I'm not all that familiar with either of those fields, but yeah.
2: Can I add just one really quick yeah. thing? Yeah. I mean the, but this is where the devil comes in and compromises you with fear. And then mm-hmm. that this is an important part because that fear then dictates who you are. Right. And so that you acquiesce to whatever society is versus what you actually are. So that, that's, that's a, um, that's the comp- that's the negative side of compromise in that
0: yeah.
7: Yeah, that's that's very insightful. Okay, thanks, Joe. Uh, uh Yeah. Um. Thank you. Uh. So I am um, based on actually this is based on Joseph's last point. Um. Uh. I have a, a few things here. So the when I think of compromise in this regard, I think of uh, specifically the first thing is that uh, I think a fear of compromise in another light. Uh. For instance, there's there's, uh, there are times when you don't want to compromise on something, when actually compromise would be the best option in the short term, because not compromising may, not compromising may actually delay you from getting to your destination. Uh, whereas um, actually making a compromise where uh, maybe you're, you, you put your ego on the line a little because you're like, well, I compromised, but you know, it's, it's in service of the greater good might be better. For example, and my specific example here is, for example, say you're walking down the street and uh, somebody actually, somebody decides to be aggressive with you for some reason. And they start insulting you and they're provoking you into an altercation and they want you to st- essentially fight them or something. Um, so if some people might be more willing to do that, Uh, regardless of the danger it might put them in because essentially their ego is being insulted and maybe there's onlookers that will perhaps judge them for not taking the challenge and maybe being a coward or something. Uh, In that sense, I think if coming from that perspective, a compromise is actually the better option because, I mean, what's the point in risking your life when you have a greater purpose for, for um, a, a few ephem- an ephemeral confrontation where you could easily lose everything because you um, mm-hmm. decided your ego was more important and impressing people was more important. That's where I think of one compromise aspect. And then the other thing is um, it, when it comes to the engineer slash writer thing, uh, that one's interesting to me because um, I, I know some people who actually go temporarily, their plan is temporarily to go into a, a lucrative route that uh, gets them a lot of money, for example, being an engineer so that they can maybe do that for two years and then uh, move into more uh, being a writer full-time or something like that. Um, And I also see that in akin to taking some time, for example, if you want to go be a writer full-time, maybe you still need some job security a little bit. So maybe you'll you'll go into being a waiter or something like that, or you'll go into something like you know the service industry for a temporary amount of time until you build a baseline uh, amount of uh, funds so you can support yourself in being a writer. So I think in those two situations, I see a positive end to compromise as long as you know that there is a larger goal and uh, there's a lot, there's a more important thing in the horizon. So.
0: I think those are great points, Chef. I, I think I would just rephrase it. I'd- to be honest, I don't think that's compromise. I think that's sticking to your purpose. I think that's uh, yeah, and and like Rebecca put in the chat, you know, becoming an engineer in service of your other goals, that's a plan. Like that's a strategy and that's, you know, that's a legitimate way to move through that. All right. Gang and then Denise and then I believe at that point we'll be ready for breakout rooms unless you had something Alex
1: Yeah, I I just wanted to mention with with that point, I definitely agree, but I do think it's important to make sure that you know whatever that is you choose for the temporary job security is uh, the highest and best use of your time for that goal, right? So, can you do something that is relevant to being a writer that will create connections, you know, or is it do you want the most like monetarily expedient thing, and and these are, you know, I think, difficult things to figure out, right? How much money do I need to have versus how much experience with writing? If I make less money doing an assistant writer job, I, I guess my point is, I think it's important to assess that you're not compromising at a point that's like, created for you by society or any, any preconceived notions that are not along your definiteness of purpose. And if that is the best thing to do, then I would say it's not a compromise. It's just part of the path.
4: Yeah, I actually want to give an example. I I watched a movie actually, I then I found out the writer actually live in my neighborhood. He's working for a high tech company and he is the writer, right that science fiction and not up making it into a movie. I can't remember the exact movie's name. It's about like how he's talking to the other space people. Like they have this, all this, I can't remember exactly. But anyway, so I, I found it's quite interesting because I realized, oh my God, this guy living right in my neighborhood <laughs> and, he, and I searched and he won quite a few awards lately actually. But anyway, so I think it's important to be compromised. <laughs> actually, I'm kind of a little bit different from other people. I think maybe when I was younger and more extreme, so I think it's either this or that, but the Chinese way is always in the middle. And I don't really buy into that, but as I go, get older, actually, I think it's the better way to be. For example, because they always said, be careful what you want, because a lot of times when we think we want something, but they don't really know what that thing is. Just like you mentioned, somebody wants to be on the Broadway show, the opening night. That's all they want, but they don't really know what that means. So if they really get that, we saw a lot of movie, the, the, you know, it's about one movie, is about this uh, actress, famous actress. All oh, she, she was trained to be famous, you know, like, sacrificed all her lives to create this image. And she ended up miserably at the end of her life. You know, sometimes we were conditioned to think something we want, but we don't really fully understand. As we get older, we adjust that vision for us. Like a woman mentioned earlier about career and life, a family, you know, do you really think you devote your whole life to your career, that's the right way to be. But maybe you did that and you find out and it's not the life you want. So I think as we along the life of the course, we adjust what we want. And to me, you know, when you choose career and life, you have to compromise, you have limited time. Maybe you won't do the best in your career. You won't do the best of, as a parent, but you at least have both. You have the egg in different basket. So <laughs> at the field, you still have something left. So I think compromise some way, and the, the, I think this what your dissident is coming from, you don't fully understand what you get into. So you're stuck in a situation you don't choose. Like if you choose something you know you compromise, you won't have that feeling because that's your choice. The, the problem is that you don't choose something and it's stuck there. That's why you feel bad.
1: Oh, thank you, okay.
0: Next is Denise, and then Bodon.
3: So, Gang, Gang, you you actually uh, basically said a little bit about what I what I was thinking about. It's it, you know, if you think it's a compromise, it is. But if you if it's a choice, if you make a choice, and you and someone else mentioned a plan, it works out for you. And um, I myself was I was doing something that was low pay and was offered something with high pay. And what I was doing was relative to the higher paying position, but it wasn't quite exactly what I thought it, I didn't think it at the time. And I chose the higher paying position. It turned out to be even better than I could have imagined. Um, I I don't like to use myself as an example, but it really is a good example of what happened to me. And I struggled with it. I really struggled with it. And I thought I was compromising. And as I came to terms with it and understood how it it really helped me with my financial goals and my principles and my overall goals, it turned out to be even better than I expected. So I thought it was interesting. So I think, and I don't know if anybody knows Marianne Williamson. um, She says a miracle is a shift in perception. And that's from her book, Return to Love. And I really believe that it's all in perception. That's it. Thanks.
0: Thanks, Denise. All right, Bodon.
8: Yeah, thanks. I, I don't know how this works. I've been waiting quite a long time, but anyways, I'm grateful to um, to contribute. I think this is a good class and uh, the good series that uh, is being put on. Um, there are. Uh, I think the statement that was made initially is very polarizing and very aggressive. I think. Um, like people have been saying, uh, compromise is necessary as a strategic retreat, and it's a momentary, uh, momentary uh, type of um, trade-off. You know, as long as you have your goal in mind and have a focused vision. So I think um, I think he tries to rile up people. I think it's part of the success literature, and I think that's maybe a good bargaining position to start with to make people. Uh, appreciate their sense of agency and confidence and to get things done. So I think that's very important. It's in a a lot of business literature. Um, The only problem is that you've got to be careful not to slip into magical thinking, although magical thinking and thinking itself might have some consequences. There are certain realities that one can't go against. The Stoics are right. There are certain limitations, but we have to be careful to really identify those limitations carefully because some limitations are interpretive and you can change them. And um, as long as they're real limitations, we can't go against them. There are certain physical limits we can't fight against. So Stoics are right. However, we do have to use our mind to creatively problem solve and reinterpret and cognitively reframe things so that we can challenge um, constraints or so-called constraints. So it's very important. So it's very important to be riled up, but it's very important also to be realistic. So I think we can, these are very, you have to be a little more subtle. Um, This is a um, a cult, a rally to be um, a strong person and an agent, which is good, it's a a sense of uh, control that he's promoting in all the business literature does this. However, it is a much more subtle uh, problematic. That's all I just want to contribute.
0: That was excellent. I, I'm glad that you did. Uh, and I'm sorry that I didn't see your, your hand raised before. I, I appreciate you sticking it out, though, and contributing that. Uh, first of all, I want to say that in terms of what you're talking about with the understanding limitations and sort of being very precise with understanding you know, what are real limitations and what are perceived limitations that are interpretive, uh, your wording on that, I've been trying to articulate that idea for months, at least. And that is the best that I've heard that worded. So thank you. Um, but yes, you're right. And uh, Napoleon Hill is the father of um, sort of business success literature. He was sort of the, one of the first people to actually start writing about this kind of thing. And so yeah, yeah, he, even though this particular work was not published until 2011, he wrote it in 1938, and his other book, Think and Grow Rich, was like one of the first books about, you know, business success principles, life success principles, um, and yeah, yeah, again, you're, you're right. This is, this is very much like a, a rallying cry toward the right mindset with, uh, I think, with the idea That as you move along, you will sort of learn to see the subtleties in how you act within this. This is, this is, it's a, it's a wake up in some sense. The whole book is a wake up that like, Hey, all of these things are happening. You're doing all this stuff automatically. That's causing you to drift from where you could be and where you might want to be like, wake up, act this way, change your mindset to this. And then, yeah, we'll sort out the the, the details uh, as you go. So, yeah, thank you. All right, Alex, did you have any any uh, last comments before we move to uh, breakout rooms?
1: Yeah, just to, to comment on that, I, I agree. And I think for me, it's, it's useful because I think it's important for me uh, to like push through and hit the actual wall and not when I perceived. Mm-hmm. Um, I do and smash my head against it a few times to accept that and you know understand that as an actual limitation and not just one that was self-imposed
0: cool all right folks so for the breakout rooms um this is a loose prompt however uh, if you want to talk about what you got from this discussion or any of the ideas that are on your mind you're welcome to um so this is the the loose prompt before we go First of all, start by writing down or articulating your top priority goal in life right now. Uh, If you have trouble picking a top priority, pick two, maybe three, um, and sort of think about it in terms of definiteness of purpose. And the questions are, one, how might you be vulnerable to the urge to accept compromise on your goals? And number two, how might you bolster yourself against that? So, again, uh, what is your top priority goal? Think of it in terms of definiteness of purpose, you know? So, like a goal like, well, I won't get into examples. You can figure it out. Top priority goal. How might you be vulnerable to the urge to drift from that goal, to compromise on it? And how might you bolster yourself against that? Fairly broad hopefully that sparks some good discussion. Thank you all for listening today and Shrakan, take it away.